lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. everyone, it's Rabbi Mel. I'm back. I took a little vacation last week, so I hope you missed me as much as I missed you. Uh, but I'm back, and we have a very interesting and difficult topic to talk about. Of course, every week we talk about difficult topics. Death is the hardest topic of all to talk about. There's nothing more difficult than talking about death. I was talking to a friend of mine um, this afternoon, and he asked me about my radio show, and I said, you know, it's interesting. People do not want to talk about death until they do. And when they do, they don't want to stop talking about it because they have so many feelings and they have so much to say, which I suppose ties directly in to our show this evening. Now, I'm going to try a little something different. Um, If you're in front of your computer, you may or may not be, but if you are, I want you to go to a particular site that I'm going to talk with you about. It is called, hold on, theconversationproject.org. The Conversation Project dot O-R-G. So if you're near a computer, I want you to uh, click on the Conversation Project dot O-R-G. And here's what it talks about. It talks about having the conversation with loved ones who are going to die. The conversation, as we call it. And you ask them, you know, we're going to talk a lot about it. You ask them about their wishes. You ask them about what they would like, how far they would like to be pushed by doctors, when to stop treatment, and all that. It's become a very popular topic in society these days. And states are grappling with the issue of letting go. I did a funeral last week of a guy who was in a hospice for a week because he and his, his he was unconscious, but his family had decided that they didn't want doctors to continue to care, uh, to cure him. They wanted to put him in hospice where they knew that the staff would care for him. That's the difference between a hospital and a hospice. Curing versus caring. And I guess you really have to decide when curing is no longer possible. So if you're on the website, you can follow along with me. I'm on page three. And it asks the question, why talking, why having the conversation matters? And it gives some scary statistics. Sad, actually. 
90% of people say that talking with their loved ones about end-of-life care is important. 90% say it's important, but only 27% have actually done so. If I were standing in your living room right now, I would ask you, have you had the conversation? But in an hour, at the end of the next hour, you'll decide what, what's next for you. 60% of people say that making sure their family is not burdened by tough decisions is extremely important, 60%. But only 56% of that 60% have not communicated their end-of-life wishes. There are people listening to me who know exactly what I'm talking about. Your mother's in the hospital, she's dying, you know it, she knows it, but nobody wants to talk about it. Because she doesn't want to upset you and you don't want to upset her. So you don't have the conversation, so she dies, and then what? And how long do you let her linger before you let her go? 80% of people say that if seriously ill, they would want to talk to their doctor about wishes for medical treatment toward the end of their life but only 7% report having had this conversation with their doctor. Who wants to talk to your doctor about when to let go and, and how long he or she should keep fighting? Who, who needs it? You don't want to talk about that. You don't consider yourself in need of that right now, but you never know. Finally, 82% of people say it's important to put their wishes in writing. Only 23% have actually done it. So these statistics teach me that um, we have to begin to think about it. I talk to my congregation all the time. I say you, have to, you can't have secrets. There are no secrets. Somebody who's dying knows it. Believe me, they know it. I know that because I'm in the room with them the last couple of weeks of their life in the hospital or in hospice, and I kick everybody out of the room. Of course, when the rabbi says, I'd like to have a few words with Jack or Susan, you know, there's no better way to clear a room than for a clergy person to say that because they all know that we're going to talk about death and they can't do it. So they're happy that they're not happy, but you know, uh, they, they're happy that I do it. So that's called according to this, um, conversation starter kit that I'm reading from. That's the beginning. That's the statistics. And then step one, which is on page Four is called get ready. You will have many questions as you get ready for the conversations. Here are two to help you get started. One, what do you need to think about or do before you feel ready to have the conversation? Well, you got to get strong enough. But having the conversation is an act of love. Don't make it an act of fear. Make it an act of love. You're having a conversation because... You love this person who's not going to be with you much longer and you want to do the right thing. And two, do you have any particular concerns that you want to be sure to talk about? For example, 
making sure finances are in order or making sure a particularly family, particular family member is taken care of. You know, every family has particular issues and that's part of the conversation. Remember, you don't need to have a conversation just yet. It's okay to just start thinking about it. You can start out by writing a letter to yourself, a loved one, or a friend. You might consider having a practice conversation with a friend. Having the conversation may reveal that you and your loved ones disagree. That's okay. It's important to simply know this and to continue talking about it now, not during the medical crisis at the end of life. And having the conversation isn't just a one-time thing. It's the first in a series of conversations over time because people change their minds. So, you know, if you're, let's say you're talking to your husband or wife, you have the conversation. You don't have to wait to talk to your daddy when he's sick and dying. You can talk to your husband or wife when you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s because you don't know what's going to happen. And you may find that Uh, For example, the husband could say, well, I want the doctors to do everything possible to keep me alive. And that's what he wants when he's 45 years old. Well, when he's 55 years old and he's seen some friends begin to die, he may begin to think about it and change his mind. And that's perfectly okay. There's no final conversation until the final conversation. So that's step one, ready. Step two, I'm on page five, get set. What's most important to you is you think about how you want to live at the end of your life. What do you value most? Thinking about this will help you get ready to have the conversation. Now finish this sentence. What matters to me at the end of life is dot, dot, dot. For example, being able to recognize my children, being in the hospital with excellent nursing care, being able to say goodbye to the ones I love. We've talked a lot about that, and yes, you must say goodbye to the ones you love. I did two funerals last week. One was the one I just talked to you about. Um, It was a sad case for him because he was depressed, and he had PTSD, and he had ADD, and he and he had been deployed to uh, Afghanistan and he came back and he was depressed. And the day before he died, he spent seven hours in Wendy's eating dinner. And he decided life wasn't worth living for him. So he got in his car and he drove in front of a Mack truck and died that way. I call it suicide by truck. That was the first funeral I did. That was very sad because he never had a chance to say goodbye to anybody. Second case was a lady who was in hospice. She was part of my um, adult bat mitzvah class last year, one of my students. She was in her 80s, and her husband had died three or four years before that, and she was really depressed. But one day she woke up and she stopped wandering backwards, and you know we've talked about that before, and she began to wander forwards to the next place in her life so that she decided she wanted to become a bat mitzvah student. That was just last year. 
and she was wonderful, spectacular, a real role model for the entire congregation. And then the cancer came back, and the cancer, cancer finally got to her. So I went to see her in hospice, and I knew, and everybody knew that she was going to die. So I went in there, kicked everybody out, held her hand. I touched her. You never be afraid to touch somebody who's sick unless they don't want you to. So I, t- I took her hand in mine, and I said, I'm so proud of you. Uh, you really were a role model to everybody who was there. There were 200 people there. They were so proud of her. I said, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. And she did. And I started to cry. It was so poignant, so powerful. They say, you know, that hearing is the last thing that goes. So don't be afraid of talking to him or her in hospice or in the hospital because they can hear you. The other side of that is don't say nasty things because they can hear you. You don't want them to do that. You don't want to say nasty things. So you have to talk about what matters to me at the end of life. And then there's a scale, page five. As a patient, I'd like to know, you go from only the basics about my condition and my treatment to all the details about my condition and my treatment. You go from my doctors to do what they think is best to uh, number five, to have a say in every decision. Uh, You go from not knowing how quickly it is progressing to know my doctor's best estimation for how long I have to live and so forth. I wouldn't mind spending my last days in a healthcare facility to I want to spend my last days at home. That's where you, that's what you want to do. You want to spend your last days at home in your bed or on your couch in familiar surroundings because when you're in the hospital or in a hospice, you're in strange, you're in a strange place. And so you have to talk about it. It's part of the final conversation. You have to talk about it. Because how's anybody who's taking care of you supposed to know what you want unless you have the conversation and you talk together about them? Page seven, you go from I want my loved ones to do exactly what I've said, even if it makes them a little uncomfortable, to I want my loved ones to do what brings them peace, even if it goes against what I've said. Let's say you want to be cremated and they don't want to do that. They want to bury you. Well, you ain't going to be around, dears, so they're going to bury you. Because uh, most traditions say that's what you do. That's one example. Uh, It goes from when the time comes I want to be alone to I want to be surrounded by my loved ones. It's very interesting. Lots of people want to die alone. And in my 35 years, well, my 45 years of being a grief expert, I have seen so many times where uh, I hear about it, where the person who's dying will uh, ask their, whoever's in the room, members of their family or nurses, 
go give me something to drink or go give me something to eat or something. And they, and they leave and then they're alone and then they die. On the other hand, some people like their families to be standing around. You go from I don't want my loved ones to know everything about my health to I am comfortable with those close to me knowing everything about my health. The woman that I buried, my student, didn't want to tell her friends that she was in hospice. So her daughter, one fine day, invited six of her closest friends and said, uh, this is what's happening and I want you to come up and see mom in hospice. And when mom, who was close to death, found out about that, she yelled at her daughter. And her daughter said, look, you've been the CEO of this family for life. Now it's my turn and I'm going to make those decisions. What do you feel are the three most important things about what you want your friends, family, and our doctors to understand about your wishes and preferences for end of life care? So you have to talk about it. You have to be as specific as you possibly can be. It's not easy. God knows it's not easy. You know, but you have to have the conversation because this is what really matters. You're helping them close out the final chapter of their book of life. And it was a good book and you don't want it to end. But you have to help them end their book of life the best way that you all can. We're going to take a break and I'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to 
from morning to morning. To find out more about our program, visit griefok.com. Again, that's griefok.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, we're back. This is Rabbi Mel Glazer, and I am the grief guy. I am uh, a rabbi for 45 years and a grief therapist for the same number of years. And tonight, or today, or whenever it is, because I get statistics that some of you listen at 2 a.m., I'm good, folks. <laughs> I ain't that good for me to get up at 2 a.m. to listen. But you do, so God bless you. A lot of truck drivers out there, maybe. So we've been talking about something called a conversation project. And if you're by a computer, I want you to go to theconversationproject.org. And I'm going through the beginning of it. Um to talk about the outlines of the conversation that you want to have with loved ones uh, before they die. Now, let's change the focus and let's talk about, we've gone through step one, get ready. Step two is get set. Step three is go. Now we're talking about the details of the conversation. Let's talk as if this were you talking about, talking to your loved ones before you die. And you could be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90. It doesn't, you don't have to be old to have this. The younger you are, the better. The more time you have to make changes, you, you're going to change your mind. So I'm on page um, eight. So they ask you to mark all that apply. Who do you want to talk to? you got to decide. Who do you want to have this conversation with? Now, you may want to have it with your spouse, or if you're unmarried and single, you may want to have it with a parent or a best friend or a faith leader, minister, priest, rabbi, imam, or your doctor if you're sick, if you're beginning to get sick, or uh, adult children, perhaps. It's your choice to make. It's not my choice to make. It's who you feel most comfortable having this conversation with. When would be a good time to talk? You have have to decide uh, when you want to have a conversation. Next holiday, before my child goes to college, before my next trip, before I get sick again, before the baby arrives. Next time I visit my parents and adult children or at the next family gathering. You have to pick the time when that person or persons will be there to hear you, to listen to you. Don't do it over the phone. Do not do it over the phone. You lose power when you do that. And they can't hug you over the phone. Because this is not going to be an easy conversation that you're going to have with people. Where would you feel comfortable talking? You can decide that. At the kitchen table, at a favorite restaurant, I don't know about that. Uh, In the car, on a walk, sitting in a park, those are nice ideas. You should be comfortable. You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be, you know, in a deep, dark, scary, gloomy place. What do you want to be sure to say? 
and then ask you to write down the three most important things at the end of step two, or you could just fill in the box here. Then we go to page nine. Here are some ways you could break the ice. This is the most difficult thing to do. I'm telling you, it is the most difficult thing to do to start having the conversation. So here's some things you could say. I need your help with something. Remember how someone in the family died? Was it a good death or a hard death? How will yours be different? You can say this to your mother when she's 75 years old, or you can say it to your husband when you're in your 40s. I was thinking about what happened to blank, and it made me realize that one day I'm going to die, and here's what I want to do. Even though I'm okay right now, I'm worried that blank, and I want to be prepared. I need to think about the future. Will you help me? I just answered some questions about how I want the end of my life to be. I want you to see my answers, and I'm wondering what your answers would be. Um, honesty is the best policy. When I went to the uh, hospice last week, right before my um, adult, 80-year-old bat mitzvah student uh, died, she died two days later, I went up to her, as I said before, in the first part of the show, first segment, and I held her hand, and one of the things I said to her was, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. Make sure you got Kleenex, because you're going to need it. But if you want to start a conversation that way, there's no better way than I'm going to miss you. And you are. What to talk about. When you think about the last phase of your life, what's most important to you? How would you like this phase to be? Do you have any particular concerns about your health, about the last phase of your life? What affairs do you need to get in order or to talk to loved ones about? Personal finances, property, relationships, who you want to forgive? I said to this lady uh, a month ago, uh, I went in a room, and she was in the hospital then, I went in a room and I said, you got to forgive people because you're going to die and you have to forgive people. You don't want to take them with you and you don't want them to carry the guilt of the relationship they had with you on their shoulders forever. So the next day her daughter called me and said, you'll never guess what happened. She talked to her best friend and she asked for forgiveness. As a rabbi, I got to tell you, don't get no better than that. Because as I say to my people all the time, when you die, you got to die clean. Um, we say he should rest in peace or she should rest in peace. But when they die, they can't do that yet. That's what I said at the first funeral that I did, where he drove his car in front of a truck. They were all angry with each other. Everybody was angry. So I went through the stages of what I've told you before. You have to forgive. You have to apologize. You have to thank. And you have to say uh, goodbye. 
That's what you have to do before you die. I'm going to a church next Sunday, and that's what I'm talking about. Who do you not want to be? Who do you want to or not want to be involved in your care? Who would you like to make decisions on your behalf if you're not able to? This person is called your health care proxy. Got to talk to them. You got to fill out a form. Your state has a form. Your church or synagogue or, or mosque has a form. Everybody's got forms. You just have to fill it out. You have to sign it. You got to get it notarized. And you got to show it around to everybody. Show it to your doctor. Show it to your family members. It's what you want. You're entitled to get what you want. Would you prefer to be actively involved in decisions about your care? Or would you rather have your doctors do what they think is best? Well, I'm a coward. Or as I say to my doctors, I'm the best patient you will ever have. Because whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I don't want to know. I mean, I do, but I really don't. Because I trust that they're going to take good care of me. Are there any disagreements or family tensions that you're concerned about? Oh, no. Every family has disagreements. Every single one. Even yours. Even mine. Before we die, we got to deal with them. You got to be clean when you leave. Wherever you're going, however you understand that, whether you believe you're going to a physical place called heaven or hell, or whether you believe that you are remembered uh, with good memories or with bad memories, and that's heaven and hell, whatever it is that you believe, you got to talk about it. You got to be concerned about it, and you got to try to fix it if you can. Are there any important milestones you'd like to be there for if possible? Birth of your grandchild, your 80th birthday. I know lots and lots of cases where people knew they were dying, but they stuck around until their granddaughter's wedding because they wanted to be there to see their granddaughter walk down the aisle. Two weeks later, they gave it up. They had seen their whole family, and they let themselves die. It happens very, very often, very often. I'll tell you why in a few minutes. Where do you want to receive care? Home, nursing, facility, hospital? Are there kinds of treatment you would want or not want? Talk about resuscitation if your heart stops. You want to be in a breathing machine? I don't. Want to be in a feeding tube? God forbid. I don't want to be in a feeding tube. If I can't talk, let me go. My whole life is about talking to other people. My whole life is about having relationships with those around me. If I cannot do that, and I can't at least read short stories on my Kindle, who wants to be alive? That's not living for me. Everybody makes their own definition of what they want, but for me, if I cannot have relationships with people, I don't want to stand there and be a somebody that people just walk in and see and smile at and talk to me and I can't talk back. I don't want to be gawked at. I, I don't want people to treat me like that. So I already told my wife, if I can't talk, if I can't relate to people, if I can't read, 
If I can't watch television, you know, put me in a trash bag and on Tuesday morning, put me out there and the boys will come and pick me up. That's a joke. But you know what I mean. It's about living a life of quality. It's not just living from one day to the next. It's how you live. It's what kind of quality your days have. Okay, remember, be patient. Some people may need a little more time to think, including you. You don't have to steer the conversation. Just let it happen. Don't judge. A good death means different things to different people. Some people may want to fight till the end. Nothing is set in stone. You and your loved ones can always change your mind as circumstances change. Every attempt at the conversation is valuable, and this is only the first of many conversations. You don't have to cover everyone or everything right now. Now, just go for it. Each conversation will empower you and your loved ones. You are getting ready to help each other live and die in a way that you choose. And then keep scrolling down to page 11, step four, keep going. Here's some legal and medical documents you should know about. Um, I'll let you read that on your own because you can. Um, advanced care planning, advanced directive, health care proxy. Somebody's going to make the health decisions. And I might have told you the story before that when my mother, may she rest in peace, was dying, and I was the head of the family. My father had died previously the day before I turned 12 years old. And when my mother was sick in the hospital, she died of lung cancer because she smoked three packets of cigarettes every day. So she died. So she was in the hospital. Everybody knew she was not coming out. The doctor came to me as the head of the family. He says, I want to give your mother a blood transfusion. And I said, why do you want to do that? And he said, It'll make her feel better. And he thought I would say, of course. So I said, I'm going to think about it. And I'll tell you in two minutes. Well, what he did not know was that Jewish law says two things about life and death. First, when you're alive, you may do nothing to end that life. So suicide used to be a sin, and we would not bury you in a cemetery if you committed suicide. Now we do because we figure that if you commit suicide, you're not well, and and therefore we treat you as everyone else in the community, and we bury you with all the proper ceremony. So I thought I asked him, "Will she live longer if you give her blood?" And he said, "Yes." And I remember the part two of Jewish law that says, "When death is imminent." You may do nothing to postpone it. So I said, no. Don't, no, I didn't say no. I, I thought about it, thought about it. I knew I was supposed to say no because that's what the law, my law says. But she was my mother. I didn't care what the law said. So I went back and I said, yes, give her another pint of blood. Well, I don't know if she felt better or not. She was comatose and nobody knew. And 
we were just sitting in a room and two hours later she died anyway. So I don't know whether the blood helped her feel better or not. But you got to have a healthcare proxy for you. And maybe you'll be the healthcare proxy for your parents or grandparents. Got to have a living will. You know, and you've got to have an ethical will. That's not on here. What is an ethical will? An ethical will is something that talks about your values, your ethical values. It's something to give to your grandchildren, your children, your grandchildren, so that when they remember you, they don't just remember you with pictures. They remember what you stood for. What kind of a human being were you? You talk to them about honesty and love and justice and and ethics and, and compassion and being kind to other people. That's called an ethical will. Trust me, they'll remember that long after they remember the pictures that they saw about you. Is there something you need to clarify that you feel is misunderstood or misinterpreted? That's called apology. What do you want to, who do you want to talk to next time? Are there people who should hear things at the same time? Like siblings who tend to disagree. You can do that. Let's say your two kids don't talk to each other. Get them in the room. Have it out. Tell them you love them both. Tell them you don't care what the argument is about. doesn't matter anymore. They have to come together because you care about their kids, your grandchildren being supportive and friendly with each other. How did this conversation make you feel? What do you want to remember? What do you want your loved ones to remember? What do you want to make sure to ask or talk about next time? And the reason I say next time is because you're going to change this several times as you get older and your answers will be different and that's perfectly okay and you don't have to feel badly about it. Okay, we got more stuff to talk about, which we will after the break. I'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. 
Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, this is Rabbi Mel, and I'm back, and we've been talking about the Conversation Project. If you are in front of a computer, I want you to click on theconversationproject.org. We've been going over the conversation. Now, there are different kinds of conversations. What we just talked about was the, you know, when your elderly parents or grandparents are in the hospital or in hospice, and even before that, you've got to have a conversation about what's important to them, about how they're how they want to, their health care to go, how they want to die, et cetera, et cetera. But there's more difficult conversations than that. Uh, somewhere in this, on this site, you'll find it. Uh, conversation that you need to have with parents who have Alzheimer's. And they don't remember what they say from one minute to the next. So the Conversation Project people uh, have a way of having conversations uh, just to let your loved ones know that you'll be there for them. Even if they don't remember in 20 minutes, they have a feeling they know. So uh, similar kinds of of things, but uh, remember. Uh, People in the early stages of Alzheimer's or another form of dementia will often express some anxiety about memory loss or loss of their ability to do things they used to be able to do easily. It's important not to simply dismiss this by saying, oh, dad, we all forget things as we get older. Instead, this may be an opening to establish yourself as someone they can really talk to. Tell me more. It can be an opening to begin a longer conversation. So if your dad says he's having a real problem with his memory, use that as an opportunity to begin a conversation. Even though dementia is a long and steady decline, there are moments when a loved one may remember certain things like music or distant memories better than more recent events, like what they ate for breakfast. Well, the only reason I remember what I ate for breakfast because I eat the same thing every morning for breakfast. I have a cup of flavored Chobani yogurt. There's a commercial for you. Uh, top with some blueberries. That's what I have for breakfast. Been doing it for two years. I love it. Uh, I get flavored. I don't eat plain yogurt. It's gross. It doesn't taste good. I only eat stuff that tastes good. And I don't eat kale either. So don't even think about it. So... Sometimes they'll have lucid moments, and then you can and you can use those as opportunities. And it's important to have this conversation in small bites, and keep it simple. People with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia get overwhelmed rather quickly. Don't expect to go through several pages of the starter kit in one conversation. And when you return to the conversation. You'll likely have to repeat the questions you went through before. 
I know how frustrating it is to live with somebody with Alzheimer's. I got congregants whose parents live with Alzheimer's and it drives my congregants crazy because they'll, they'll ask their parents something, their parent will say something and then totally forget about what they said. So they have to ask three or four times because the parent doesn't remember. Thank your God it ain't you. That's all I have to say. Thank your God that you're still alive and breathing and cognizant and and you can talk to them and you can remember what they said, even if they do not remember what you said. It's critical to have this conversation with Alzheimer's patients as soon as possible, while you can. Because Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia are terminal illnesses, the sooner you can start having the conversation, the better. They ain't going to get better, and they ain't going to get stronger. And you know that in your head. You know it. And you know it in your heart, but you got to do something about it. You have to do it as much as you can. Having this conversation is important for you, too. To avoid the kind of guilt and uncertainty and depression that can accompany making these decisions on your own without knowing what your loved one would, would have wanted. Remember that you are doing the best you can. Get help. You don't have to do this by yourself. Share this experience with a trusted family member or friend rather than hiding it. So here's some vignettes. A wife says... He doesn't want anybody to know about his dementia. He sees an old friend at the gym who doesn't know he's sick. And so, and then he gets in a problem with a conversation and he has trouble with it, but he's just as embarrassed and he doesn't tell them and he has Alzheimer's disease. Well, it's embarrassing to say to somebody, I got Alzheimer's. It's just plain embarrassing. And if you tell me I got Alzheimer's, what am I supposed to say? I'm sorry? I mean, figure it out, you know? So most people with Alzheimer's don't talk about it with anybody except their kids and their siblings. They don't talk about it because it's embarrassing to talk about. You understand that. A sister tells, I was in a state of great relief when my sister's doctor finally told her she had Alzheimer's. And I said to my husband, now we can finally talk about it. But of course, then the next day she had forgotten because she's got Alzheimer's. And she didn't remember that the doctor said she had Alzheimer's. A sister says, I remember when I had to tell my sister that she could no longer make speeches or travel out of town. We were sitting at the kitchen table. I was talking truth to powerlessness. She looked up and said, if I believe that, I'd jump out the window. That's the sort of thing that makes us terrified to talk about it. But she did not jump out the window. But you know how many cases there are. People live in residential homes and they take walks at night and then they get lost. They don't know where they are. Some people just keep walking. They don't have any idea where they are. Got to call the police. You got to, I don't know. You got to do whatever you got to do to find them. 
if they have Alzheimer's, their memory's going, and you, it's not much you can do about it. Step two, get said, okay, I've decided I want to have the conversation, but how do I begin? Remember, keep it simple. Remember, the most important thing to is to find out who your loved one wants to make medical decisions for her when she is not able to make them for herself. That's the healthcare proxy. Remember, it's better, it's best to be concrete rather than open-ended. You learn in school about open questions versus closed questions. Closed questions are when the exam question has a definite answer. Two plus two equals four. That's a closed question. An open question is, uh, how do you feel about fill in the blank? If you're unable to speak and you want someone to tell your doctor what to do, I'm your gal. If you think Charlotte would fight hardest for your wishes, she's your gal. So ask if they've got Alzheimer's or dementia, try to ask them questions that have closed endings that they can give you an answer. You can write it down, you'll remember. They may not remember, but you'll remember. Be specific. What do you worry about most? That you won't be able to stay at home? That you won't recognize your children? That you'll be a burden to your family? That you won't be able to afford a caregiver? Ask them. They have Alzheimer's, but they're still alive. They still have a mind, sort of. It's hiding and it's diminishing in its, in its power, but you know what? You can talk to them and ask them questions. Because knowing your loved one's wishes will help guide and protect you and your loved one through the many decisions to come. Um, what matters to me at the end of life is, and then they should fill in the blanks. And you can find the questions and the scale of values uh, in, the, in the first conversation the default conversation that we had. Um, let's see. Upon diagnosis of a condition such as Alzheimer's that will result in cognitive decline, the affected person may, you, may wish to use the starter kit to identify values and facilitate conversations. Maybe they want to write it down by themselves. Maybe they can't talk so well, but their, their minds have moments of lucidity. Give it to them. Print it out. It's 12 pages. It's easy. Make it as easy as possible for them to make the decisions that they need to make. In the mid-stages of the disease, there may still be moments when it's possible to remind the person with memory loss about a prior situation of death or dying. Remember when mom died? Remember when dad was on a ventilator? And reminisce about how that felt. And in the later stages of the disease, when loved ones are no longer able to express their wishes, families may find it helpful to use this starter kit as a guide to come together to reach consensus about the values expressed in the past by the person who has memory loss. Tell stories. You know, they may not remember the birthday party when they turned 70, but tell the story. 
something's going to click. People tell me all the time about their parents who have Alzheimer's, and they say that there comes a time when the parents don't recognize them anymore. But they have a feeling that their parent knows they are somebody special. Their parent knows that they have a special relationship with the son or daughter, and that makes the son or daughter feel much better. So then you just, you do the best you can. I mean, I'm appalled still about the abandonment of every stage along the way for people with Alzheimer's, says a social worker. The essential experience is one gets the diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment and the advice, don't worry, eat well and exercise. Here's the Alzheimer's Association pamphlet. See you in six months for another round of testing. Families are literally sent, in my experience, out in shock. Don't let your doctors do that. Now, let me take the last two minutes of our show and say something that I think is very important. When you do this, you restore power to your loved ones. Because when your loved ones get sick, when anybody gets sick, when anybody starts to know that they're dying, they know that they're losing power. They have no power over their body. They have no power over their decision making. They just don't have power anymore. When you have the conversation, you give them some power back because you allow them to take control of their lives the best they can. And the other thing is, you've got control when you have the conversation. It's just the same for you. You've lost control over life and death when you know a parent is going to die. It's a normal feeling to have. Yes, we have all the other feelings about anger and guilt and all that that we've talked about and are going to talk about much more. But you have lost your power over life and death. Uh, There's um, a conversation project in here to use for kids, teenagers who know they're dying. They can talk to you. You can talk to them. But what I'm saying to you finally is that if you want to help restore somebody's power, somebody's life control, your parents, yours, a loved one who's dying, use the conversation kit. Again, it's called, um, what's it called? Conversation project.org. So I'll leave you with that. Go to the site. Look at what we've been talking about. You got people that you need to have the conversation with. I wish you love. I wish you success. And I will be with you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.